oh cool man and hey i was gonna send you that tune and uh just wanted to ask if, if you if you'd be willing if you have time on uh the agency sometime if you'd like to play this on on your podcast if not i'll understand but it's my friend chris Truslin, and he plays in a group called uh i'll send you a link to their channel too but he's the nicest guy and he plays in a group called Bill and the Bells. Be right back. Welcome to another episode of the Agency Podcast. I'm your co-host, Eugene Napick in Toronto. And I'm Candy Minks, your co-host in Chicago. Chicago? <laughs> I know, what the I heck thought, are you doing in Chicago? I thought I'd go back to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's cold here. It was very, very nice and cold, boiling hot, toasty warm in Tennessee, which I had not really realized it was... I mean, I was pretty hot and uncomfortable a lot of times, but I hadn't realized how much temperature difference there is. So it's, you know, back to my winter coat here, parka. Yeah. Although today was pretty nice. Today was Today's, uh, it's shirt weather here. It's quite beautiful and it's going to get warmer. Yeah. And then we'll be too hot. So, so well, for me, I'm going to go camping on, oh, yeah. uh, on Wednesday for a couple of days. So, right. and bird watching, and it should be great. So I'm going to head off to a place called Presqu'ile Park. Mm, and what's your have menu? Been there? No, I don't think I have. It's uh, it's located east of Toronto on Lake Ontario near Brighton, and okay. it's a big stinking peninsula that juts way out into, um, into Lake Ontario, uh, and that causes some really cool things. And one of them is is when the birds come north, it's the first place that they can land off the lake. And, uh, and so it's a very, very popular resting place. But as well, it uh, is probably the best place in Ontario to see shorebirds. Wow. Like Dunlins and um, plovers and, and those sorts of things. Um, they have uh, almost 400 campsites, and the campsites are really quite beautiful. Uh, they have a, a two and a half kilometer beach, 16 kilometers of trails. Um, there's also a one kilometer marsh boardwalk 
that takes Ooh, you through the marsh and there's all kinds of nesting birds. Oh, I love that. Thing. It has the second oldest operating lighthouse in Ontario or on the Great Lakes. I'm not sure which, actually. Um, and it's a world-class spring bird migration hotspot, which is really why, um, why I'm going. It's, it's uh, located on um, what's known among bird freaks as the Michigan Flyway. And the Michigan Flyway, basically, I, I, I guess you could say it, it delineates the range of the bird because it's the route that the birds, the migratory pessarines, uh, go from uh, the furthest south they go to the furthest north. And the route that they take in this particular case is called the Michigan Flyway. I was really happy to learn that it had a name. I don't know if the birds know that it has a name or not. Um, and just off the peninsula, uh, and, you know, it's a peninsula, but it's almost an island. And what does Presqu'île mean? It's French for almost an island. So there's also a, a bunch of limestone islands uh, near the park that support a really large uh, nesting colonies of cormorants, terns, various gulls, great blue herons, great egrets, and black-crowned night herons. Mm. So it's a pretty exciting place, and I'm super looking forward to it. How lovely. I love that. And I wanted to ask you what your menu is. Well, um, there will be grilled on the open fire meat, which I'm going to buy Wednesday morning <laughs> on the way. Okay. Um, so I'll probably buy a steak for uh, for Ooh. Wednesday night and, yeah. and something else for uh uh, for Thursday. Um, I, I haven't thought about breakfast yet. I'll have to figure that out. I'm going to do tea instead of coffee. Okay. And I'm going to bring um, stuff for sandwiches for lunches. And I've got some trail mix and some, I was at bulk barn this morning and I, I bought some dried fruit. Mm. Um, so nothing too, too exciting, but there will be uh, for the uh, carnivores out there, grilled meat on a fire. Delicious. And uh, this is car camping, I, I'm assuming, where you've it got is. a cooler in the car. Yeah. Oh, it's glorious. It's like glory, you know, glory. You don't have to worry about weight. No. You know, I can have <laughs> my, my blanket and a sleeping bag. That's I it. I can have, you know, anything I want in the cooler. It's just, you know, it's really extravagant. Lovely. Plus, it's Lovely. not that far. It's only, I think it's like an hour and a half or something right. from Toronto. Right. Something you could like pre-cook some bacon and put it in a Ziploc bag and just. I could, or I could just bring bacon and cook it over the open fire. And, yeah. 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 Because everything is better with A, bacon. with bacon and B, yeah. cooked over an open fire. Bacon. So, bacon. Did you say bacon? <laughs> so I'm just going to keep uh, the cooking fairly, fairly simple. Yeah. Um, it's really about the birds. Oh, and this morning I was having my morning coffee and out our window or out the sliding door to the deck, I could see a bird up in the apple tree that I didn't recognize. It was black with splotches of white. And I thought it was maybe some partially albino red winged blackbird or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then I only saw it from the back and Sheila got some pictures with her phone from the back mm -hmm. um, and then it flew away and then it came back and I saw the front and I knew immediately what it was oh. because the front has this glorious bright red on the, on the breast, like 
bright red patch. Oh, on the, it was on the a breast. small bird. It was a medium-sized bird, oh. I would say, like a smallish red-winged blackbird. Okay. Okay. And it was um, it was a a, a, a rose-breasted grosbeak male. Wow. Um, yeah, and he probably took some pictures. He posed for them. <laughs> it was really nice. Cool. I also, since we're on the subject of, of doing some birding, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, a nature walk I did the other day. Oh, good. Uh, because it went to a, a really interesting location. And I thought I'd give some, some of our, our listeners don't know anything about Toronto. And, and I thought I'd give a little bit of insight. Uh, we're, in spite of lots of cranes, lots of development around here, uh, we're a pretty green city uh, compared to a lot of cities. And a lot of that has to do with um, having a lot of ravines and um, having two major rivers, uh, as well as some, well, at least one major creek, Etobicoke Creek. It's also Mimico Creek, and there's some others. And uh, Toronto's built between the Humber River on the west and the Don River on the east. And when I was growing up, my dad used to say, <laughs> the Don River, it's a mess, son. It's just, it's so polluted. You yes. could almost walk across That's the Don correct. River without getting wet. And um, where we went on this nature walk the other day was one of the places that gave the Don River this, uh, this reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a place that's known locally as Crothers Woods. Um, but we access it from the other side of the river from a little road called Beechwood. And if you live in Toronto, you'll know that 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 uh, that Beechwood is located west of Pape off O'Connor. And it goes down a really steep hill past a, a police dog training facility down to an access point to the Don River. And then there's a, a whole network of trails. And in this particular spot, it had a glorious 130-year history of paper mills. So historically, our Globe and Mail, for instance, was printed with paper that was made in the the paper mills on on the Don River. And paper mills, as I'm sure you know, are not the cleanest operation in the history of ever. No. They smell Uh, bad. That's how dirty they are. Yeah, it's they're pretty disgusting. And uh, at some point, the last of the paper mills, which was Domtar, moved um, or shut down. And the city took down most of the buildings and they made a really serious effort to reclaim that land. And it also had a, a, uh, a special spot in, in this area that was known as the Leaside Dump. Mm-hmm. And it was one of Toronto's garbage dumps. And it's since been reclaimed. And you would never know that there's a garbage dump there. Right. When you walk in, there's a flat area known as Cottonwood Flats. And you see there's a, a smallish area that's kind of fenced in. And that's to protect breeding birds. And Toronto field naturalists go in and they uh, do surveys of uh, all the different birds and insect and plant activity inside this area. So it's, it's a pretty cool spot when you go there now and you see people out looking at nature, enjoying the huge variety of plants. They've made an effort to, uh, to plant all kinds of native species of, of 
trees and shrubs and stuff like that in there. Uh, it's really beautiful. And as well, at the top of the hill on the other side of the river, uh, there used to be a company that the woods were named after. So it's called Crothers Woods. Mm -hmm. And Crothers was the company that uh, Sheila's dad worked for for <laughs> his whole career. Wow. And he was he was one of those guys. And maybe it's a whole generation. Because it's it's different now, you know, that that believe you start at the bottom, you start with a company at the bottom and mm -hmm. you stick it out for the whole career yeah. and you work your way up to wh wherever you, you know, wherever you can reach in terms of your ability to help the company. So Sheila's dad uh, was able to work his way up to VP of that company. That's uh, remarkable. And, and he worked at that facility, which... Um, on that on that location now, I believe is a Loblaws store, a grocery store. Mm. So it's long gone. Uh, Crothers is now a company called Toramont, mm. but they still do the same thing. They're in the heavy equipment, uh, heavy equipment business. Right. Um, and actually, for this podcast, just since I was just there, I'm wearing oh, yeah. a hat that Sheila's dad gave me. It yeah. says on it, "Cat Racing." And of course, that refers to the heavy equipment caterpillars. Yes. Um, and I guess they had a racing program. <laughs> so I had a few hats over the years that that uh, the father-in-law gave to me. Um, mm -hmm. One of them, I, I think he was disappointed in me because I tie-dyed it pinkish. Wow. Uh, On yeah, purpose? So, yeah. Because yeah, I, I just thought, thought maybe be... you threw it in the laundry or something. No, I just thought I'd try tie dyeing it. Yeah, fun. So. Uh, well, you know, that's really a large part of the time that I lived in Toronto, I lived on the East End. So the Don Valley is a pretty, you know, a sentimental and fun. And, and also it was disgusting back in the day when I first moved to Toronto, it was pretty polluted and messy and mm -hmm. there's always garbage along the side of the river. And I used to fly right from York University. <laughs> My apartments in the Assiniboine Road at uh, York University, I'd fly down to the nightclubs on the weekend. <laughs> I bet you did. I, no I, I remember you used to have a, a station wagon That's with right. like a V8 engine. That's right. And it had two speeds. <laughs> it had off and in flight. Yeah, that's right. So I would take off down the uh, Don Valley and I would have this incredible, and for years later, I still had an emotional response. I would get so excited when you see the sign for Richmond. And uh, there was a, I, now I've forgotten what company it was, but I think it was Nissan or Toyota had a huge sign and I would get the flutters because I'd be almost downtown and I would go right along Richmond to uh, the twilight zone to go dancing. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And I usually would find a place to park and, you know, have oh, a couple Because of back in the day you could park in Toronto. Park. Yes, you could. I had parking spots, little places that you could park for free all around the city. You know, because if you live downtown long enough in those days, you would find all those spots if you tried to get around by car. Right, right. And now, I mean, that's just craziness. You might as well just forget the car and get on transit, which gets right. you there faster and right. um, without having to deal with parking charges. Because all of those little spots are now condos. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I'd have a couple of gin and tonic right away when I got to the club and then I would dance it off. I'd be sober by the time I drove home. And, you know, I found out about a couple of those clubs from a, a woman that you, you probably know her, Suzanne, but um, she was in my anthropology class and she always looked amazing. 
She just had the best clothes and the best fashion. And we were pals. And, you know, I don't know if we went for coffee or tea and stuff. We kind of would chit chat in our class. And that was a class with um, with John Price, who has passed away. But he wrote this great book about Tijuana, which I've mentioned before on here. But she told me about Twilight Zone and Pariah. And so I'd fly down there. But um, I'm, I see Suzanne on Instagram all the time. And she became quite an interesting fashion consultant in a magazine. I think she worked for Flair magazine, for Canada's Flair magazine. She might have been the editor, in fact. She uh, she stayed in with the fashion business. Well, so, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. So anyway, the Don Valley. I take, I, I take fashion seriously, as you know. I know. I can Always surfing the cutting on. edge right. of the unfashionable experience. That's right. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So um, the Don Valley and then also Leslie Street Spit and Cherry Beach. Those were my power centers. Cherry Street Bit Beach was just one of my favorite places. In fact, um, you know, go down there after working at a nightclub. Went down there one night with a few friends, four of us. And we took drinks and we had candles and we were smoking cigarettes back then. We stayed up all night until we passed out and woke up with sunburns. And we were all in our leather and and mesh and, you know, bracelets like Billy Idol and in our black clothes. And at the time you thought it was fun. Oh, it was so fun. But the funny part <laughs> was we wake up in the morning and of course there's all these families having picnics around us. And well, we you know, were like completely passed out in, in, <laughs> on the beach from drinking. That's right. And the families were like, look at the hipsters. I know. Look at those people in their black clothing <laughs> in the middle of summer. But yeah. So um, the Don Valley has been under a huge re, um, rebuilding program for years and years. And now down by Leslie Street Spit and Leslie Street and the Commissioner's Drive, where I, used to, I just love driving around there. I barely recognize it. You know, I go back yes, and we'll, the, we'll drive the around. The city is... It's changing so fast, Candy. And, you know, if you were going to, if you were in, say, at my place and you Mm -hmm. wanted to go out to Tommy Thompson Park or Leslie Street Spit, what you used to do is you'd get on the Gardner Expressway or what my dad used to call Freddy's Freeway. (laughs) You get on that and it would turn into Lakeshore and you'd go down that big ramp. Mm-hmm. And you'd end up down around Carlaw and Pape and, and through there on the lakeshore. Well, now, um, once you pass Jarvis, there are no more opportunities to get to the lakeshore. So if you want to get on the lakeshore, you have to exit at Jarvis to get on the lakeshore. Mm-hmm. They've just chopped the end of oh. that, that whole ramp yeah. right off. And I, I know this from... Um, unfortunate experience because I was off to meet the nature walk group somewhere out in the East end. And and I thought I could still go down that ramp. And next thing you know, well, Jed's a millionaire. I'm going North on the (laughs) Don Wally parkway. Right. Well, that's not how I was driving East. I I was okay to go on Jarvis, but I was going along, I guess, Lakeshore from your place out to the East end to visit family. I was staying on the lakeshore. I didn't go on the, I, I rarely ah. go on the Gardner. And so Jarvis is still open, like you said, to go down there. And of course you're right. Cherry street, what I call Cherry street. And I still do is actually Tommy Thompson. And it's been that it's been renamed that for a long, Leslie long time. Street. Leslie street is Tommy Leslie Thompson. Street. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's definitely been. Um, and what know. a place it is. One of the if you, if you want to go and see some incredible nature, mixed with rubble and stuff from that made the spit 
yeah. uh, because it's it's landfill that made that spit. Yes. Uh, you could walk way out there. You could see breeding colonies of cormorants out there. It's really a fantastic place. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. Yeah. And, and, you know, we used to go out there with Michael and and Tiff, my daughter and stuff. We'd always go walking on Leslie Street spit, see the birds, take a picnic, jump in the lake. You're not supposed to, but we did. And um, what was I going to say? Oh, one thing about Cherry Street, the Cherry Beach is one of the reasons they rumored that they changed it was because they changed the name and everything was because they were rebranding it. It was considered a place and I have friends or co-workers that were taken down there and beaten up by the cops. Um, I think that's true. You don't think that's true? No, I do think that's true. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. know that. I know, I know this to be true. Oh, do you know that? Oh, the, the fact that people did that or that they rebranded it. Uh, that, both, that people did both. that. I, I know that, that there were cops who had a reputation yeah. for yeah. beating the crap out of people down there. Yeah. And it was often gay people or people who they thought were gay or were punk rock or, or nightclubbers as a matter of fact. Um, anyone who was young and looking different and out late at night. Uh, yeah. So the rumor, the I don't know if it's true, urban myth was that they were trying to change the name. So it didn't have that reputation anymore of being. I see. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. It could be an urban myth, but it's such a fantastic place to spend the day. It has the best French yeah. fries right down at Cherry and Street. Bit, be, um, if you can go to the French fry truck, they are to die for. And also if you're in Toronto and you want to see a different side of Toronto. Or the, the side that we're you familiar do, with. <laughs> um, there are all sorts of places around Toronto on the streets where you can get those rent-a-bikes. Yes. Right? You put in your credit card, you take the bike, and you drop it off at another location later. Mm-hmm. Well, you could start bicycling, say, up by the Science Centre or yeah. by Crothers Woods, and you can bicycle all the way down to the lake, join up with the waterfront trail. You can go all along uh, the lake shore out by where, where I live. There's a small part where you don't have trail and you have to be on roads, but then you're back on waterfront trail again and you can go, well, I've only taken it as far as port credit, but I understand you can go all the way to Oakville and maybe further for all I know. So for the bicyclists in the crowd, it's, you know, it's a great way to see our city. It is a great way. And, you know, it's funny because you're reminding me another thing we used to do. And, and I can't believe I would do this. But Michael and I and, and, you know, my daughter and a few of us, it wasn't uncommon on a beautiful warm night to get on our bikes from Bathurst and drive all the way down. You could get you could access it. We had all kind. it wasn't as formal as it is now. There's official bike trail, but they were building that concept and we would go whipping down there. And then you'd reach this one part of the lake. And I'm sure you know where this is. And it could be dusk, could be any time of the day, but it was a very uncanny. My friend Michael was gay, so we'd always be prepared for this. But at some point you would hit this part and guys would just be coming out of the bushes, randomly coming out of the bushes. I mean, it was a big hookup place before Tinder. It was the Tinder of the of the lake. Well, yes, (laughs) because instead of using your phone, you just go to a parking lot, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, at Marie Curtis Park, which is just to the west of where I live, it's the border of uh, Etobicoke, the former Etobicoke and Mississauga. Etobicoke Creek forms the border. They used to have, um, they used to have parking lots down by the beach, and that was it was a place because yeah. yeah. you could drive down there. People wouldn't see you, I guess, if you, mm-hmm. you know, you'd you'd find whatever you needed down there, and yeah. um, and then more and more people started to use the park, and the city 
started to discourage that activity <laughs> and they discouraged it by um, taking out the parking lots and right. the road that went down to the parking lots. Right. So, and, and it's just bike trail through yeah. there now. I mean, so I'm sure one, there's still, I mean, people meet up wherever they're going to meet up, but well, it every, isn't like it was for right. sure. Every town has a lover's lane. Well, and oh, hey, let me right. tell you a little story. Yeah. Back in the day, and I can't even tell you what year this would be, but I would say it would be the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, you might recall a certain sculptor friend of ours. I do. And, I think we're going, I think I know where you're going with this. You know, I, we, we, we're not going to say Twiggery in the figure though. We are, we aren't. Yes, <laughs> oh, we, we are. are. Oh, we are. Of course okay. We are. Okay. So uh, we, we were doing charcoal drawings yes. and charcoal artist charcoal is really expensive. And our sculptor friend, um, let's just give him a name. Let's call him Robert. Okay. No, let's call him Bob because he didn't like being called Bob. <laughs> so let's say, so Bob. Well, for the sake of an anonymity and respect. Yes. We'll call him yeah, Bob. We'll call him Bob. Um, and so he had this idea that we could make it. And he did a little research and he discovered that I always assumed that you burn wood, it was charcoal. Hmm. But no, 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 no. Hmm. You make charcoal by distilling wood. So what what that means. What it means is you have to heat the wood up to its flashpoint without it burning (laughs) until all the gases are dissipated. So we came up with the Canada Fine Art Charcoal Ovens. and, (laughs) And what they were... Uh, or, or let's call them kilns. They okay. were those, you know, the large tomato cans, the mm-hmm. extra large ones. Mm-hmm. We get a couple of those, and they were the kilns. And then we'd have a piece of tin foil with a number of holes poked in it. And then we would make a pit in the beach, and we would go down to Hanlon's Point mm-hmm. because at Hanlon's Point there was a lot of driftwood willow twigs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we referred to Hanlon's point as the vernal twiggery. <laughs> and we would go down there, dig a little pit in the beach, make a fire, and then you you load up the twigs from the twiggery into these cans. So they were all standing side by each face up. So lengthwise face up, jammed together. And then you'd put the tinfoil with the holes on top, and then you'd put it into the coals of the fire. After a short while, you'd light a match and you'd ignite the gases coming out the holes in the top. And you'd see little flames coming out as the gases burned off. And the second the, the, the flame went out, you'd have to immediately cover the kiln with a second layer of tinfoil, this time with no holes. Mm. And then we would use two sticks to move the the kiln into another pit right it must have been very difficult to put the foil paper on because it was such a hot tin um you just kind of put it on top and then just use a stick to pat it down okay so long as you stop the gases that was the whole deal because you didn't want the wood to catch fire Mm -hmm. and then you'd bury it in sand so that it would cool slowly because we learned that charcoal if it cools too fast will crack and mm-hmm. we were looking for the best possible charcoal you could imagine. Mm-hmm. So we did this. And lo and behold, we started making the world's finest artist charcoal. Just the yeah. best artist charcoal. I yeah. mean, import, imported from Belgium? I think not. <laughs> I, you get it from us. 
Yeah. So we we were making this stuff, and I started to go down to art supply stores like Graphics and Gortzman's and right. um, all the different ones, Turn. and I'd show them the charcoal, uh-huh. and they go, "Yeah, we'll buy some of this stuff." <laughs> and so I was selling the charcoal in all these different different stores, and and there was a demand for it because how'd you package it? Well, we would find boxes that you know you get stuff in. <laughs> okay. And then if you had a tin of food or something, this was at the very beginning of those barcoded SKUs on, mm-hmm. on items. Mm-hmm. So we would take like the paper off like a tin of beans and we would cut out that uh, that barcode and yeah. we would glue it onto our little box. <laughs> and then we would, it was ridiculous what we yeah, did. Yeah. Then we'd use Letraset and we'd, we'd write on it, Canada Fine Art Charcoal, number one, grade A, medium. Nice. <laughs> and we'd sell it in boxes. And everybody wanted our charcoal. It's it was so cool. It we was should quite do this again. We should do it so, again. So we were doing this throughout. We started in the summer and yeah. um, this went right up into the fall. And then winter hit. <laughs> And it, we realized down, yeah. that, well, okay, first of all, part, part of the deal is we'd bring a bottle of wine at yeah. a picnic lunch right. and we'd enjoy the beach, right? right? It, it wasn't just all about the charcoal. So once it got cold, that kind of just took the piss right out of it. Right. And we decided to take our profits and we held a New Year's party. <laughs> With the profits, and that was that was successful, yes. you know. And then we retired as, as successful entrepreneurs because we realized that if we kept going, we would have to expand, get real kilns mm-hmm. instead of tomato cans, right. find a place where we could get an unlimited supply of charcoal. And then, of course, there was a certain danger at Hanlon's Point. Now, right now, Hanlon's Point is sort of an official nude beach in Toronto mm-hmm. for people into that. But at the time, it was an unofficial nude beach. Right. And it was also another one of those meetup spots. Yeah. So we'd be fishing around the <laughs> around the bushes, gathering up driftwood willow. And every now and then you just go on the other side of a bush. You go, oh, I didn't want to see that. <laughs> And we refer to that as friggery in the twiggery. Yeah. Yeah. And we just, I mean, I I really don't care what people do to get their jollies, but I wish they had better bushes because I, you know, (laughs) I just didn't need to see it. You don't need to see the, ah, (laughs) you know, it's a little surprise when you see that. It's like, oh my goodness gracious. Or if if God is kind, it's a big surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Wow. That's great. I, I remember people still having their box. They're boxes of uh, Canada fine charcoal. I think Stag had his for ages. I he still had, have some. One. You still have some. There you go. Yeah, they're all, we're down to the broken pieces now. But <laughs> but considering I've had it for. Oh, don't even say how long. A long time. Like 35 years. <laughs> Either I haven't done enough charcoal drawing or I made way too much charcoal. Right. I don't even do charcoal drawing at all. I haven't for ages. I should do something. Something you different. know, I like charcoal drawing. Yeah. But what I don't like is that if you don't treat the paper afterwards, mm-hmm. then it all will rub off. Yeah, it will. Um, and that that crap that you spray on it. Hair I mean, spray. if you go out into nature and you do some drawings hairspray. in nature, and then you use hairspray or you <laughs> use the the double the price hairspray that's called, um, what is it, Arts. crystal clear or something? Yeah. Anyway, you, you spray that a lot as a fixative, but it's nasty crap. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Surely that can't be good for the environment. I hate Great using for your it. hair, though. <laughs> but good for your hair, you know. If you want to spike up those. I uh, understand uh, that. I use product every now and then. And my hair gets out of control. I, I get that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 
that's funny stuff. That's good. Hey, <laughs> yeah. we've been waiting for meatloaf recipes from our adoring fans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we might have a wrong wait because the sum total of meatloaf recipes we've received is um well, well, it's zero. It's zero. Adamania. She did post one on Facebook and it was a lot of fun. It was Campbell's recipe. Um, yeah, we're going to have to hunt and I, I don't also give up. Come on. We just got to keep the word. Uh, up. Well, I'm going to offer one up okay, here, just to encourage, All right. encourage our listeners. I came up with a meatloaf recipe the other day. I was making some meatloaf mm-hmm. and I thought, what could I do to make this a little bit different? <laughs> yeah. And you know what I thought of? I thought of if you go to Hanoi and you get, Oh, there's all kinds of dishes that have a filling that is a combination of ground pork and woodier mushrooms, which are usually sold here in Asian markets as they're called black fungus. Okay. <laughs> um, but in fact, it's uh, so poetic. Yeah. So um, it's a really common combination in all kinds of dishes in Northern Vietnam. And I, I thought, well, let's see if we can adapt it to the good old fashioned comfort food meatloaf. Uh-huh. So I soaked some, some black fungus, then I chopped it up really fine. And I had some ground pork, mm-hmm. some breadcrumbs. Uh, I chopped up some celery. I chopped up uh, a couple cayenne chilies. Uh, or as one chef I met in Hanoi referred to them as the tourist chilies. <laughs> I quite like them. I can eat them like fruit. I think I, wow. you know, the cayennes I, I've adapted to really well, but um, I, I can't really do like the little Thai chilies. That's a little, little bit hot for me to eat like a whole one. I couldn't do it. Uh, so um, then I added an egg to the, to the mix to make it stick together. And then to give it a little bit of that kind of funky flavor that you get in Northern Vietnam, I added some, uh, some red boat fish sauce. Mm-hmm. I liberally added red boat fi- fish Very sauce. Good. And then I made it, I scrunched it all together, mixed it up. I also added some, some salt and I added some uh, ground pepper and um what else did I put in it? Oh, also a teaspoonful of sugar. Hmm. And I mixed okay. it all up. I made uh, made it into a couple of meatloafs, cooked it up, and I glazed the top with a, a, a combination of sriracha sauce, a little bit of fish sauce, and some hoisin. Hmm. And I just, every 20 minutes or so, I would uh, paint on another glaze on top of the meatloaf. And... This is, I mean, it's not a Vietnamese dish by any right, any means, but it uses some of the ingredients that are common in, in northern Vietnam and kind of reminds me of it. And it's uh, it's quite yummy, very lovely. Yummy, Ooh, yeah, good. yeah, extra yummy, I would say. Good, excellent. I know I might make some meatloaf. I'm going on a diet again. I started it officially today, but I I was weaning over the weekend. No right. carbs. Basically, no carbs. Well, um, you know, if you want to shed weight, shedding bread is the, the fastest way to do it. No bread, no like, pizza, all of that sort yeah. of stuff. All the starches, that yeah. kind of carb. Potatoes. But, rice is the killer. It's very, very bad. Oh, man. I love rice. I know. It's a problem. Yeah, I know. It's just, um, it digests so quickly that it's uh, 
put your blood sugar out too. So it's, yeah, you know, at least potatoes go a little slower. Right. So I made some, I cooked today. I made a vegetarian soup and just really easy. I just did, um, what's that onion called Vidalia? Yeah. The sweet yeah. onion. Yeah. So I did that. Some mushrooms, some asparagus, some uh, fingerling potatoes, but like such a few that it won't really matter. And that's going to be my, this week's like a couple of days of diet soup, but, and I'll nice. move into some other soups without potatoes in a couple of days. And I also made, oh, I see pies. you're sort of, you're, you're starting to move towards mm-hmm. a more extreme direction with your diet. Correct. I may pull out my Vogue beauty book recipes in a week or two. Remember those? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I haven't followed the, the Vogue well, beauty book. I had done one of them in the pandemic and it was like a glass of wine at lunchtime, two glasses oh, at night, right. no more than a bottle a day. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I am going to pull out one of those, but I'm not going to do that till next week. And I'll also probably pull out my salmon diet where you eat salmon twice a day for three days. And it's very good for your skin. And you do drop a couple of pounds. And, but I mean, I can't just diet. I have to just stop eating carbs, except for special treats or something once a year. <laughs> or once every two months. Well, because this yeah, is not probably. changing. I have to change this. And then I made, um, so I made chicken thighs really delicious and this recipe i got from a friend that was volunteering when we did cook it forward for homeless people i had this idea many years ago to um well always i I love cooking for anyone who lives outside but was to make organic and um ethically sourced food as much as possible for people who lived outside Mm -hmm. um and one of our volunteers that joined us was kathy and she had this great recipe for chicken thighs so i made that and i used trader joe's english peas throw them in the pan couple of bay leaves, fresh thyme. What, sorry, what's the difference between an English pea and a, and a normal pea? I don't know, but that's the marketing on the Trader Joe's. And they're raw okay. peas. And they are freaking Like delicious. green peas or yeah, like green rice pea. and peas peas? Just like your regular from a garden green pea. Okay, got it. And they, they're raw, so they, they really cook up delicious. Do they come frozen? No, they're fresh. They come in a bag, fresh. Fresh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're crazy. And um, they really do taste good. They're, they're just very special. So I put those in an onion, just a regular yellow onion. I didn't, I didn't put garlic in. That's, you could. It's okay. Yeah, you don't you need garlic in, in everything. No, you If don't. you have it in 90% of your <laughs> diet, you're probably okay. Exactly. What else do I put in there? So thyme is really super important. I put in a fingerling, the rest of the fingerling potatoes, because I figured steak will eat those. Because the problem is if I go on a diet, steak loses weight. <laughs> So I have to remember, I went grocery shopping and I forgot to buy him bread for sandwiches. So I have to remember to have his supplies in the house, you know? Uh, I understand that. She and I eat quite differently as well. Yes. And so we're both always constantly, like we'll be tripping over each other, sometimes fixing our dinners. Right, right. So that's kind of where we're at. And um, I mean, I can make a lot of our food that he can eat that's low in carbs. And then he can add, you know, something Add carbs as required. As yeah, that's right. So this this is a really good recipe. I just baked it in the oven. Oh, I sautéed the uh, the chicken and butter for about ten minutes, right? The skin, and then just cooked it all together like a. I, I don't have any pots because I have pots, but I don't have anything that I normally would have cooked in because of the fire. So I used a cake pan. <laughs> I don't have a casserole dish or anything, so I just put it in a cake pan, and um, later when I serve it, I'll put cream in it. Like a heavy whipping. When cream. you grow up, though, you could get a casserole dish and, and a pot. 
Well, I do have them, but I, I lost them in the fire last. I understand. March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need to re-up. I will re-up. Yes, yes, I will. But I haven't done that because I just didn't even think of it. When I go to the store, I'm not thinking of the things to kind of replace, you know? Yeah, I understand that completely. Yeah, so that's what I did today. I did all that this morning. I went to the store um, trying to up my steps to get to 10,000. Um, 9,000, I did 9,000 a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. I almost thought I was going to die. I went to work yesterday after not working for a while. And I was like, oh, my God, was I tired, tired last night? I could hardly walk. Stag was not sympathetic, seeing as he's working, and he's like, "Yeah, well, that's how I feel every day." I I understand. You know, I, I went the other day, Saturday morning, went went on this nature walk that I, I talked about, then came home and worked in the garden all day, and by about mid afternoon, first of all, I got up really early for yeah. you know to get up there for the for eight a.m. for the the nature walk, and was on my feet there. It was it was quite um, uh, some of the trails were quite rough and. Um, you know, it's not like we, we super vigorous walking, but it's a good walk too. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, then I worked in the garden all afternoon and suddenly I was so sore. Oh God. It's like, yeah. it's like what have I done all winter? This is pathetic. Yeah. Oh my God is right. It's so crazy. Well, you were talking about birds and there's a theory it's called owl theory. I don't know if you've come to that yet. Owl theory that a certain What's her name? Peterson. I forgot her first name. That Michael Peterson's wife died of an owl breaking out in the house. If you watch the documentary of the staircase, they proceed yes. to explore the idea of this owl maybe killing her, and that would have produced these marks on her head. So I am deep into the excitement of the new staircase with Colin Firth and Tony Collette. Mm -hmm. You're watching it? Yes, we're watching it too. I think we've seen a couple of them. We're, we're yeah. going gonna to watch them. It reminds me a little bit of of, of that uh, film that came out last year with Nicole Kidman, whose name I can't remember. Uh, right, I thought film it was I can't called remember. The Undoing. And, I, and who, who was her Hugh husband? Grant? Who played her Hugh husband? Grant? Hugh Grant? Yes, yes. That was very good. It does have that vibe. Because what's interesting to me is that when I heard it was being made into um, a fictionalized version, I was so confused. Like, because the documentary is quite extensive. It's like 11 episodes. And I well, watched the whole thing in the 2018. Plus, if you go in, at least wherever we access it, to access it, the, the documentary is there, the yeah. French documentary yeah. in French. Yeah. Oh, and, oh, and, the, English. and the English <laughs> fictionalized show yeah. is there. Oh. And so the first time I clicked on the wrong one and all these people were speaking French and I thought, there must be a French version. And then I found out in the fictionalized one, they introduced the documentary filmmakers from France. Yeah. Is it that I was so blown away by that. So I've watched the first three episodes. That's how many are released. I suppose there's a few more. They're going to be released every week on Thursday um, as HBO is want to do. They do it one week. And I love, I love waiting for the next episodes. It's kind of fun after all the binge. So it's sort of old fashioned. It's nice. Sort of old fashioned, yeah. And you can sit with the story for a while. But I was like, I don't think I'm going to be interested in this since I watched the documentary. I feel like, oh, they've covered everything. How could it be more interesting? You but know what it, I want to know? They, they introduce one of the kids. And I can't tell which of the kids is from which family. They're like the oh, Brady Bunch, right? I know. And, well, and one of the kids... Whenever they talk about them, they refer to this mysterious thing called spring break. 
something right. happened on spring break, right. but they don't tell us what happened. But you just know that this kid is a mess and something something really bad has gone <laughs> on. And you know that he's going to be a suspect later on. Yeah, that's probably true. And I, I, I had forgotten that. I've kind of, I don't know if that ever gets explained in the documentary, frankly. Um, what blew my mind? Okay, so basically, the, the actual documentary from 2018 starts out where they, they go to this guy who's been arrested for murder and they proceed to um, interview him and anyone who will go on camera for about 10 episodes. And it, it, it covers up the year from 2000 and I think 2001 all the way to 2011. It's 10 year coverage on this documentary. Crazy, huh? Yeah. That's a lot of commitment to make any piece of art, really. Isn't it? Correct. 10 years? Correct. But it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I suppose they worked on other things in the meantime. What I was so shocked about was I'm watching the fictionalized version. And Colin Firth is fantastic. At oh, first, yeah. He looks nothing like the real man. But I went and looked at the first opening sequence of the documentary. And I watched it for about 10 minutes just now before I, I we signed on here. And I was really quite stunned how he has covered his cadence. And he's got some real vibes about this guy. So... I do recommend this fictionalized version to everybody. Yeah, it's, it's very, very it's well very done. very compelling. And it's so bizarre because there's a lot of things going on in this story. There's so yes. many and, things And going they on. introduce stuff before they really explain what's oh, going oh, on. Completely. So like at, at one point, he picks up the phone and he's talking to someone. He says, are we still on for Wednesday? Or I something? know. And I know. then he says, are you ready to get your ass pounded? It's yeah. like, what? 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 What did I he was say? Like, yeah, why is he fighting with people, right? I just didn't realize it was he arguing. I figured it must be. And it turns out it wasn't an argument he was talking about. It's not an argument. No, we're back. Do you to, remember? Uh, you're just, just, just digress for a second. Yes. We went to the zoo many, many yes. years ago yes. Yes. with yes. a certain couple we we do. Yes. Um, and we were went in the zoo and the, we got to the area where the lions were. And one of our friends said, Oh, look, they're fighting. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> no, they were, they were having fighting. sex. Yes, they were mating. So yeah, so it starts out right away where you start to see this family. I do like how this uh, docu, the fictionalized version starts. You start to get into the house of this family, and it's quite a stunning house. It's um, I, I looked it up. It's about ten thousand square feet. That's a wow. big house. Yeah, and you've got you've got these kids where right away you don't you just see maybe six kids. And they're because all he was, he was a successful, a successful fiction writer. Was he? Successful? I didn't even know there was there was. Well, yeah, he must have been to be living in a ten thousand square foot house, right? Oh, okay. If that was his money, oh, it could have been her right? money. Right? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. I didn't. Now the thing is, I think there is a guy that I, I think he is. I think he is somewhat successful. I think you're right. Um, do you know what he wrote about? No. Vietnam. Really. He has these kind of dramas take place, um, accounts of Vietnam. I don't know if they're historically, he was a journalist of some sort. He worked for the local newspaper as well. Hmm. So I think he may have had some success with those, um, those books. Um, his, his net worth is not right now. It's five. It's half a million. I looked it up. I don't know what he had, but that house is just crazy. It was huge. And I suppose it's, uh, you know. I'm, I'm sure suppose, that you could you could graph the net worth of his lawyers going up. Yeah, I think you could compare. Down. I think that the house in Durham, North Carolina, 
it probably it would be a, a $10 million home in Toronto. The cost of living back in the 90s, it would probably wasn't that much money. You know what I mean? It was probably $300,000 or something to build it. So you've watched this dinner being made. So you've seen dinner being made and all the young people are around. And I guess you could assume it could be a blended family, but they don't start that out. It is a very classically modern contemporary family where they've all been married a few times and they've brought their, their children with them. And it's kind of nice to see that they all get along and support each other. Yes. They all keep telling each other they love each other in a, in a way before the, I guess we see the murder in a way that um, seems really unnatural. Like I think the family is extremely unnatural. I find them quirky and disturbing. And I did in the first, in the documentary, but they have found a way where I had forgot. I never expected that this fictionalized version would be so mysterious and draw me in. I, because I know the story. I know what happens. Um, You know, I spent 10 hours watching the documentary. I'm intrigued. And um, there's more to this family, of course, like many families, than you could ever imagine. There's layer upon layer. And some of it's not controversial per se at all. It's just complex. The complexity of Yes. And isn't that at the core of a lot of true crime? Yes. Is that we get to... We get to find all yes. the quirkiness about real people and mm-hmm. that that drives their behavior. Yes. And I, I was definitely building towards that. The other thing is with a murder is, first of all, how it ripples through a family. Then it ripples through a neighborhood and its city or location. And then it, now we are seeing how true crime is rippling through the country and the world. There's probably never been this kind of insane popularity of true crime. It's hugely popular. I mean, I used to get razzed because I really was into serial killers. It was kind of sort of distasteful when I was young, right? Reading about it now, it's like, damn, everybody does know something about a serial killer. And it sells TV shows. There's a great documentary called, I think it's called Murder by the Numbers. I'll have to find it. And it starts out with how many serial killer murderers there were in like 1960, how many they were in 1970, how many there were in 1980. So um, that would be a good, a good show. Did they use the, uh, that, that's that song by Mr. Sting, the murder by numbers. I would think that they would use. Oh, that. they might have. They might have used that song. I, I didn't. I don't know that song. But you know what? They I have an irrational fear of Sting. Right. I, I, I don't I, know what it is. I There's know. something about. I see Sting. I have to like shut it off. <laughs> I have to get it off. I can't handle All it. that. And I can't that. even tell you why. I know. Well, I, I mean, I like some of his songs, but most of it I have to stay away from. There, I have sentimental nostalgia. There I, is a, a recording with with Sting going on stage with Frank Zappa. And oh. his band. Oh, um, that's really good. Yeah. Actually. Well, I wasn't a fan of of the police when I when they were popular, but I can look back now and I, I like I told you, I have this weird thing where there's music that I didn't listen to or care about at the time. That now, if it's on the radio, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm kind of glad I'm listening to this right now. Sure. Um, so, what's happening with the staircases? So you get to know this family. You're they're at dinner, and there's an awful lot of booze flowing. When you say, oh yeah, I, everybody I, drinks. Everybody drinks and they drink a lot. There's some, this is a theme. There seems to be a lot of alcohol in this whole storyline. And plus there's also a kind of, she worked for Nortel. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because Nortel in 1999 through to 2004 
had a lot of crisis and, and problems with their, I mean, ongoing from that time period. I don't know the whole thing, but there was a corruption going on in the corporate. Well, well sure. I mean, Nor- Nortel, back when we had, everybody had landlines, mm-hmm. all of those phones, well, for the longest time where it was Northern Telecom, which was Nortel, they yes, made- Ontario, Canada. They made a ton of phones for North America and probably the world. Yes. And- um, and then the the future passed them by, and Nortel started crashing so fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know they hint at that she's got these problems at her workplace. Yes, yes, um, she's that's the lady. There's some kind of off. diabolical thing going on there, and I thought that is it's telling me something. It's just very fascinating that this whole case has come around this time, and he. Um, was a Vietnam vet, and allegedly, and be, I say allegedly because he claimed to have a Purple Heart and and having these awards. It cannot be verified. So he has this mysterious part to his story. She's with a corporation that's that's crashing and burning as cell phones become more popular. Yep. Obviously, people no one could have predicted that kids wanted cameras on their phone. If they had done that, they would have made them. They had no idea that it would become that technology. I think they thought a cell phone was going to be good, but they had no idea. I think people may have imagined that it was for telephone calls. Yes. But now we have a whole generation of people who have cell phones who never do telephone calls. Right. God forbid. I mean, I've seen seen people in the same room text one another. Yeah. Crazy, man. I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I've texted. That's just because you're young at heart. That's right. I've texted staying in the other room sometimes, uh, sometimes in the same house, maybe not the same room. Um, yeah. So I think that there's, that's another interesting part of the story is that there's a kind of a corporate greed meltdown and crisis. Then there's the, we've had tons of military scandals where people have told things about their military and now we have the technology to actually find out if they're true. So that yeah. is also culminating in the story, making it yes, very, very. That, and then we find out that the, um, Peterson has a, had a has a secret life. He He's got a, a lover, life. and it's a gay lover. Yes, we find that out, and that also is incredibly topical. Mainly not because we haven't been accepting of gay people; it's that his generation is not known, and in the South, to be that accepting. Here That's you right. have a military guy who's living like a bearded lifestyle with his many wives. And then there's the argument about whether or not they accepted it. And his first wife definitely says, oh no, he's always been bisexual. Um, There's some, oddly, some weird comedy that I don't know. I I think the filmmakers know it's comedy in the fictionalized version, but it's really hard to explain. It's the one guy who's like his friend. I don't know if he's a brother-in-law or he's a friend and he's there to to manage the whole house. I think it's his brother. It's his actual brother? Okay. I think it is. Wow, that's a really... Um, his name is Bill. Yeah, disturbed relationship. It's really S&M. It's very much about this narcissist controlling him and gaslighting him. Well, yes, and his brother clearly knows... He knows all the, the strange things about his brother. 
Like that's yeah. none of that's a mystery to him. Correct. Right? Correct. He just takes it all in stride. Right. And then the funny part is that there's several times during this the show, and I don't think we're giving anything away because you're never going to remember what I say. And when it happens, you don't understand how it's happening. So it's kind of I don't think we can ruin it for anybody. But you know, this guy who's been arrested or suspected of murdering his wife. Um, we don't know if he's done it or not. And most people would say they still don't know. They still don't know. Oh, but, you know, something happens that I want to talk about. Yeah, please. Okay. So he's outside. <laughs> yeah. He comes in, finds her, yeah. according to him, at the bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. He calls 911. He says she's still breathing. And then he says, no, she's not breathing anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. The police come. Mm-hmm. The police make them stay in the house. I've watched, what, a million episodes of uh, of SVU. Okay, in SVU and in every cop show yeah. in the history of the universe, yeah. the cops kick everybody out of the house. The, 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 the snarly detective comes in and says, get away from my crime scene. They put yellow tape around everything. They keep everybody out of the house and they call it a crime scene that nobody can touch. Correct. Well, they tell these guys, well, we think it's a crime scene, but they don't make them leave. No. They afterwards, they're still living in the house and yeah. no one's cleaned up the blood because it's a, a crime scene. Right. I, I can't believe that they would let them stay in the house with all that evidence. Excuse me. There. I think you have a combination of of southern culture, perhaps, and this kind of deference to authority of a house. And the idea that they can't believe that this would happen in this kind of um, economic status. It's like a wife beater. Everybody thinks wife beaters are poor people. Well, no, wife beating happens across all economic um, classes. I think there's a little bit of that. Also on Law and Order in those shows, there are times, look at the uh, John Bonet case. They, they've kept the parents in the house. The only people that had known their daughter uh, they kept them in the house too. They, this is, it is considered a, a problem when you go to charge people afterwards that they had, you know, contaminated the crime scene. Well, yeah, definitely. But it, I've seen it before and it's a weird part. I think it has to do with money and the cops don't have any authority over well-off people. That's what I think. They maybe, just don't maybe it has to do with wealth. They don't treat sure. them the same. Um, you're right. They would have kicked everybody out for a couple of weeks while they ran experiments. Well, I think so. Yeah. Oh, that brother. Oh, yeah. I was going to say the brother. So this guy, the guy who's accused of being a murderer, um, he he's such um, a coward. He's a coward about everything. He makes his brother phone the people who died to uh, the relatives of his wife to notify them. He won't notify them himself. He won't phone the wives. He'll call their husbands to tell her, tell them to tell their wives. Then he won't tell his kids that he's gay, even though they're going to find out like in five minutes. But he doesn't go and tell them. He makes his brother tell them. It's just weird, this delegation. He's There's lots of strange family stuff. And I, I assume we're going to hear something about it. Yeah. It's so weird and so strange. Um, that house is kind of famous. Um. In 19, it was built in 1940, this 10,000 square foot house in uh, North Carolina. And somebody who's really a fascinating guy, who had a show on PBS, Henry Louis Gates owned it. Henry Louis Gates Jr. And he has a PB show, Finding Your Roots, on 
and um, where they do a DNA and find out where people came from in Africa. It, he's he's just a really uh, fascinating, wonderful um, personality, but he owned it. The movie Handmaid's Tale was filmed in there in 1990. Oh, really? with Tasha Richardson, Faye Dunaway, and Robert Duvall. Now that also tells you something about this connotation of power and control. It's interesting that they chose that house. And then um, a clairvoyant and medium bought it in 2008 for 1.3 million. And you could probably buy it right now if you had a couple of million. It was for sale at least in 2020. Kind of funny. Yeah, kind of funny. Well, you know, North Carolina is beautiful. It is oh, especially up in the in the Blue Ridge. My it's goodness, gorgeous. Gorgeous. You're right? It really is gorgeous. Um, it's just such a crazy, crazy story. It's unbelievable, and um, yeah, you know, he had an affair with the editor of that French film for like ten years. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, it took me a while to figure out that there's some clips where he's in a car with a woman with silver hair. And I thought, oh, it must be one of his ex-wives. It's not. It's I think it's the editor of the French documentary. <laughs> wow. I, it's just so this is that seems also like a conflict of interest, doesn't it? If you're doing a documentary and you're trying to talk about whether someone's guilty of murder or not, and then your editor is having yeah. an affair with them, it doesn't seem right. It, no, it does. It doesn't Definitely a right. conflict of interest. So, yeah, the other part that blew my mind watching this, I was so confused. I think the second episode starts out with people speaking French and subtitles. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And they flash back to these guys deciding to do the documentary and they've got them in there. So, oh, yes, yes, I I actually was going to shut it off and see if I got the like chose the wrong show again. Right, right. It's so crazy. They've really found a great way to go all these different interesting things about this movie yes, very well done well worth watching very very Join well us. watch it tell us what you think yeah we'd love to hear what you think there is another series oh i was gonna say watching. it's an evil grace and frankie okay yeah just because it's like there's uh, oh there's a failed political campaign in there too i mean it never stops there's never a lack of content in this tv show Okay, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about another show that also deals with politics and also deals with someone from the South. And it's just great. It's called Gaslit. Have you been watching it? I I don't have it here. Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. (laughs) Well, it's starring Julia Roberts as Martha Mitchell. Yeah. And it's starring Sean Penn as John Mitchell. Cool. And my God, I still don't quite believe it's Sean Penn underneath that makeup. <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't look at all like him. His voice, sure, but uh, right. uh, apparently, uh, when when they asked uh, Julia Roberts if if she would take the role of of Martha Mitchell, she said she would do it uh, on condition that Sean Penn played John Mitchell. Huh. Hmm. She has and that apparently they're friends, and yeah. she wanted to work with him. She'd oh. been looking for an opportunity, and so. I mean, two really just top-rate actors, yeah. and they're so good in this. Oh. Um, and it's ostensibly like I thought it was the story of the Watergate break-ins. Okay, and it is, but yeah. really, it's the story of Martha Mitchell. 
that's really what it's about. Right. She is totally the star of, yeah. of this thing. And they break into the Watergate. And, you know, at the time, she couldn't keep off the telephone to reporters. She would, whatever <laughs> was on her mind, she would call them up. And so her husband, she's saying? her husband had goons lock her into a hotel room. Oh, fascinating. So that she couldn't call with no phone, so she couldn't call any reporters. And still, wow. it may have been her who, you know, took down really the government through Watergate, right? She might have wow. been the spark plug there. So if you could get it at some point, watch it. It's really good. We're, you know, it it's only a few episodes in so far. Uh, and I don't know how many episodes it is totally in the miniseries, okay. uh, but uh, but it's really fantastic. And particularly because the performances of uh, of Julia Roberts and Sean Penn are just top drawer, really top drawer. Oh, good to hear. Yeah, I, I don't have the channel it's on, so I'll have to, you know, I'm sure it'll go to some streaming thing. At some point, for sure. Yeah. And then there's another show I think we might have to stop watching. Uh-oh. And that's oh. Julia. Oh, was it bad this week? Boring? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, too bad. I think they've they've run they have they run out of interesting content? No, there's lots of interesting content there. They're just not interested in mining it. Right. I, I think that the really interesting story would have been before the French chef. When absolutely. they were spies, yes, I would absolutely. like to know what did they really do? What was yes. the spy life like? Yes. What was her role in that? What was yes. his role? That would be really the bomb. Right. Um, but instead, it's uh, a it's become sort of a, a cutesy domestic drama, uh, mm-hmm. and I just plum don't like the character of the husband or the actor who plays the husband. Oh, and, I like them, but that's it's no good if they don't have any um tension and conflict uh, and real yeah, conflict, but the conflict, real story real the story conflict just i'm not buying it i'm just I not buying it yeah i got you so i think we, maybe later on i'll go back and finish it off after giving it some space mm-hmm. but you know Sheila and i both were like why are we watching this <laughs> why are we watching this it's not adding anything to the uh-huh. story that, uh-huh. that we already largely know well, that sucks. Um, yeah. I'm behind a couple. I'm probably, I'm I'm probably behind a week. But the last week I watched was kind of mm, not. Yeah, it was just, it was not dynamic, which is what you want in a story, I believe. And then I took one for the team. Uh oh. I watched an episode of Russian Doll. And first of all, Sheila. I think I'd watch part of one episode and she, she declared it uh, not something she wanted to watch. Uh-huh. And so in the evenings, when we watch TV together, we, if one of us really doesn't want to watch something, we won't watch it. So to watch this, I have to watch <laughs> it by yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I have to find some time to yeah. watch it, which is a little bit challenging to do, but I thought I better watch at least one. And what can I say? It's well made. It's well acted. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. It's clever. There's every, I can't tell you anything about it that isn't good, mm-hmm. except that I don't like the premise. And I've been to that party. 
<laughs> I left early. Uh-huh. I didn't like that party. Uh-huh. I didn't like the people at the party. I went home. <laughs> the way I am. I'm not a good partier. <laughs> this whole series is at this dumb party. And then she gets to die over and over and over again. Right. So I, I struggled with this. And, you know, I talked to, to Sheila about it after because I can't tell you what I don't like about it. Yeah. It just, you know, as, as Sheila said, same with me. It's just not my jam. And I think right. that's it. Although it's clearly aiming at a target audience who is us because i've been to that party right we've been to that party lots yeah. of times and well, we've met those people right we've i love it because, like that and so you tell me why do you like it well i love it because first of all i love her i think she's very compelling and and and, and intriguing second i like anything that has a time warp time trap time loop i just love it and i don't um, because it's a great metaphor for the ego dying. Her dying over and over again, it's like Groundhog Day. Um, in Groundhog Day, um, he has to die until he learns how to live. And so I feel that she's, and you know, they make references to other time loop shows in the in this series. They, they're well aware of what, the, what they're working, the history behind them. Okay. And I think they do some really fun things with it. And I think um, it's... It's really about the soul's journey and life's journey and what, why are we here and how do we live? And um, I think it's a, a really fun way to deal with those things. And you're right. It repeats over and over again. So why would you watch another episode? Well, you watch another episode because something different is going to happen. Well, and I understand yeah. having read yeah. a little bit about it, that they're really quite clever and inventive yeah. about the, the way they do it. And, <laughs> and I respect that. Yeah. But like I said, it's not your cup of tea. This is not my cup of tea. And so maybe I'll watch another episode or two or three along the way when I have some time, but it isn't something I'm going to rush to see. I yeah. don't think. Well, that's totally fair. Totally fair. Um, I'm going to watch it again. I haven't had time. We'll, we'll probably watch it again too, because it was a couple of years ago to get ready for the new season. I, I, some episodes, some series, I wouldn't do that, but this one I do want to do. I want to watch the first season again to get ready. I hear the second one is very good. So far, it's really good, apparently. Uh, so, sounds like something I'm going to be interested in. <laughs> Great on. Hey, you know, I, I saw something on Facebook the other day yeah. that got me thinking about something, and that is, it was um, uh, posted by one of our special agents, Sarah, mm-hmm. uh, and she posted a picture of a tattoo shop. Mm. And I was just curious, have you got a tattoo? I am terrified of needles. I don't like them. I can stand a needle if someone has to take my blood, but I don't like pain. Okay. And I don't. Okay, like so it's a needle in the pain. So you yeah, don't. Yeah, and it. I mean, I I like tattoos well enough. I've almost drank, got drunk, and done some tattoos. Apparently, you should not do it when you're drinking. That's pretty a bad bleed, idea. You bleed more. And well, second, also, also, you don't make the best choices in terms. Well, of I wasn't going to make my choices while drunk, but ah. apparently, I have terrible ideas for tattoos. I wanted a wolf. <laughs> And I wanted a rocket. Apparently, those are really ridiculously dumb ideas for tattoos. I have um, a person well, who in my says? life. Well, a person in my life who loves me a lot and is not afraid to tell me these things. Okay. <laughs> I see. <laughs> don't go down the wrong alley. And definitely, they also tell me you don't get it while you're drunk. It's not. Well, the, I don't think it's the bad decisions. Although, I'm sure that would just be terrible as well. And I don't have time, any tattoos. Yeah. But, I mean... Tattoos are fascinating to me, but I don't I don't have any. And you know really the bottom line why? I do is, know why. <laughs> is I'm 
just like why I have I know to keep exactly why. Yes. I can't be satisfied with any image. Yes, yes. So the second I'd get one, I'm sure I'd look at it and go, no, that isn't what I meant. <laughs> I, no, I could do, no, it could be better. It could be more interesting. And next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire, I would be like one of those uh, 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 guys in uh, uh, the Japanese gangsters who are like, head to, yeah, head, head to toe with, <laughs> with full body tattoos. That well, there's worse crazy. things to do than have full body tattoos. I like oh, yes. tattoos. I like tattoos. I like them on other people. I think they're they're cool. They're sexy. Yes. And I think the thing with people getting tattoos is they're buying art that they immediately constantly have in the here and now. Uh, that they get to choose because no, they like it. Not because anyone idea. else cares. Well, right? that's a good idea, but that's not what I mean. I think there's a lot of um, in consumer culture and in the world of art and aesthetics, there's a lot of reward to being able to wear your artwork on your body mm -hmm. um, because you're always out with your body. So it's, it's such a great um, place to wear it. It's like having this permanent clothes. Whereas sure. if you have art in your house, who's going to see it? It's in your house. So it's got this great way of, sure. um, you know. Well, one of my fears with, with tattoos, <laughs> and, and this is just from like going to the no frills uh -huh. and standing in line at the cashiers, I realized, okay, I'm one of the few people around that doesn't have tattoos like mm -hmm. i people all ages they seem to have tattoos today it's like a it's a, a like maybe sort of rite of passage i don't know but um one thing i notice is that a lot of people it seems that they spend more time choosing the wall color in their living room than they do choosing their tattoo what? there are some really bad tattoos out there <laughs> like just unreadable ugly blotchy what is that i can't even see what that is mm. you know there's some really bad ones and i would be terrified if i got a tattoo to have a bad one well you've got to go to a real good artist and yeah. they are out there and they're and they're well known and but i do uh, have an idea for one you do yes I'll find, let's find out if people think it sucks. Well, my idea, <laughs> my idea, and I, I ran it by Special Agent Sarah, and she said it would suit me. Oh. And that is a dancing cat playing a fiddle. Oh, yeah, that'd be a lovely tattoo. There you go. Done. Done. Perfect. So, so to our listeners, <laughs> should I do this? If, how many people do we need to write in to tell me to do it before I do it? I don't know. I don't like this challenge i'm gonna say 50 50 <laughs> all right see you don't like it but you came up with the number well all i right. said 50 because we don't even have one email so i think there's a <laughs> we get 50 get emails saying eugene emails. go and, out and get that tattoo design well, i'll do it and while you tell eugene to get the tattoo stick in your meatloaf recipe please <laughs> that's right so meatloaf recipes and and tattoos I, and I if you have a design for a for me for a, a cat play the fiddle while dancing right. um send it on in maybe, oh, maybe i'll use it yeah the other thing i want to add is that um the same person who told me i have terrible taste in choosing topics for a tattoo also said the only people who care about talking about tattoos are people who don't have them <laughs> oh isn't that interesting what well, people who have lots of tattoos don't oh i don't well, know don't, we know people who have tattoos who get excited when they're going to get new ink and they show I, pictures and i stuff. think that i'm saying it more existentially the people who and by care about tattoos in a judgmental way. The only people who would be judgmental about tattoos or, or start to um, be concerned about whether they were good or bad or anything like that, or well, whether I only they brought, or not. <laughs> I only brought it up tattoos. because really here I am almost oh, 62 oh. years old and it's <laughs> never occurred to me that I would have some kind of 
sort right. of permanent image on yes. my body somewhere. It just isn't something I gave any thought to. Right. right. But more recently, I, I thought, well, you know. It's kind of bizarre that you don't have tattoos because I can see you being a tattoo person. It's kind of weird. But, you know, it's, for me, it's really because I can't settle on an image. But now I, know, I, know. I can't stop thinking about this. Image. I think, like, there's the like fiddle. a lot of like you. There could be lots of ways to have the, the cat play the fiddle. Oh, and yeah. Dance it. I think it'd be very, very cool. For sure. I think it's a delightful idea for a, a tattoo. But do not take my opinion because I have bad ideas for tattoos. <laughs> Well, if you know, I'll take your opinion if there's 50 other opinions that go along with it. How's that? One of the best tattoos I've ever seen, and I would do this too, was fireworks. I thought that was fucking brilliant. It was a beautiful, beautiful tattoo. Um, I, I love lots of tattoos. You know, my husband did tattoos, Stag, agent friend of the podcast. <laughs> he did tattoos and he practiced when you do tattooing, you practice on orange peels because it's similar to the skin. But the one really? thing he said he didn't like was that everybody's skin's different. So it was so, it was such a hard learning curve for him. It was such a, and also you can't change someone's skin. Uh, you can go get new paper, but you can't go make a new, you know, skin for somebody. Well, and yeah. Um, yeah, so he, he did it. He did it in his um, dungeon studio in in uh, Logan square. He would mm. do bootleg and he had all the equipment, but he would do these bootleg t- tattoos um, and he loves Flash. I mean, I do love, I love all that stuff. Anything to do with circus and carnival. And that just seems like it. Um, so magical. Tattoos used to seem so magical or, and, and exotic. Now, of course, they are a way of having artwork on your body and presenting it. Um, speaking of paper, isn't it a shame that paper is not good to make it? Because paper is so amazing. We were talking about the paper mill. Back oh yeah, Valley yeah, sure. and paper's so incredible. I love paper so much, and bummer that it has to be bad. Oh, you know what else in the Don Valley? I did a tour. There's architectural buildings there. Um, the 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 brick kiln. That's like an oxymoron, right? Architectural buildings. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how would I say it. It was an architectural tour, and it's um it's on that tour. You're right. It's total oxy or it's redundant. I don't know what it is. Redundant. And but they have um they have some really cool buildings there. And I've seen some art shows in those buildings. Um, I want to say it's Commodore. No, I'm I'm totally screwing up the kiln and the place that used to make bricks on the Don Valley, which are oh, also, the brickworks, yeah. That's a brickwork. that's a great place, really yeah. interesting spot. Yeah. They have um all kinds of like it's like ponds they have there that that are that filter crap out of the water and, yeah. and clean things up is very very interesting they have lots of events beautiful little buildings yeah. it's a very yeah. cool spot yeah. and there's um there's also a, a like a nice ravine hike right there yeah exactly so i i've done that a few times very nice and you know i've often thought that it would be a great place to go foraging for mushrooms but oh. then i i remember all the pollution and mm. you don't know how long that crap stays in the ground that's true. um but i I read a novel a while back. Jeez, I can't remember the name of it. We may have talked about it on the podcast. Mm. It was about a woman whose dad maybe used to work on this island and something happened on the island, some kind of bad pollution event. Mm -hmm. And then she discovered many years later, there were people living on the island and they appeared to have cleaned up the island in really the most remarkable ways. And what they were doing is they were growing mushrooms and the mushrooms were sucking the poison out. And they believed that, that they could, they could remediate the land by growing 
mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what an interesting idea. But then we discover that people who are living there are all starting to get cancer and dying. Oh, dear. Oh dear. And it's because the, the, the mushrooms that they're eating contain, still contain all the, the poisons and it's uh, it's killing them. I don't remember the name of that book. If anyone remembers the name of that novel, <laughs> please let us know. Refresh our memory. We'll put it on our book yeah. list. It was yeah. a pretty good novel, but I, I'm sorry. I can't remember the author either. Right. And where would we send that recommendation for tattoos or a meatloaf recipe or that identify that movie? to the agency.podcast at gmail.com or a Facebook post on the agency podcast group would do it. That would work. And or you get double the points, double the influence <laughs> if you tell me to get the tattoo and give us the meatloaf recipe. That's right. Yes. That's double the points. <laughs> Means that actually be incredible. Yeah, I love it. Well, now I started thinking, oh, my God, what if people start writing in? What will I do? I, I might have to actually go and do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a cat with a fiddle would be so cute. And then maybe will Sheila hold your hand? No, oh, I, I did that. I can't bear the idea of the pain. Uh, <laughs> the pain doesn't bother me. I'm tough. Good for you. All right. All right. I'll talk to you soon.